This is Douglas Jackson, and you're at Book City Roanoke. Uh, this is a podcast with an associated website, bookcityroanoke.com, and we're exploring our things literary. Uh, today, our guest is Sandy McGlon, and she's an associate professor of English and director of the Writing Center at Roanoke College. But before we start the conversation with Sandy, which I'm really looking forward to, I do want to mention that we have a sponsor for the podcast, and that's Book No Further. Uh, and they've been putting ideas in your head on, down on the Roanoke's historic city market since 2017. So stop by and visit with Dolores Vest and maybe uh, get books for your book club there and she'll provide a discount for you. And this season, our theme is about personal transformation, kind of writing and books and, and how they shape us. And with that, I want to welcome Sandy. Hi, glad to be here. Thanks for being here, and it's a it's a it's a rainy day here in Roanoke, and uh, but it's it's comfy and cozy inside, mm-hmm. and we can have a, a a warm conversation. Good day to talk about books. Yes, good day to curl up on the couch yeah. with a book. Yeah. So, well, let's uh, dive into a little bit of your background. Okay, how did how did you first? How did you get excited about writing and books? Oh gosh, um, well, I my. My story is in some ways one of those those classic English professor stories where um, my mother read to us a lot when we were kids and I have memories of reading, sitting on the uh, couch with my brother and my mom and her reading the Paddington books to us and us laughing so hard that we would almost roll off on the floor. And so I just, I loved books from a really young age and I, by the time I was six even I was writing my own little books and um, decided I wanted to be a writer and I don't have a really clear memory of like the moment that that happened but words always really attracted me and I loved I think being transported to other worlds with the books I read and so I, I liked the idea of being able to do that myself. How did others encourage you along the way? Oh gosh um, I feel like I got pretty consistent encouragement from my parents um, and also from my teachers. Early on, I envisioned myself as a poet and I wrote uh, poetry. I wrote this poem about the moon, uh, interestingly enough or strangely enough, inspired by, there was a poem that uh, I think the character's name was Blair on the Facts of Life, read, (laughs) I know, (laughs) dating myself, um, read on the show one night and um and I just love this poem so much and I finally figured out I think it's actually a poem by William Carlos Williams it took me a long time to to find that poem uh but I was inspired to write my own poem about it was about the moon so I wrote my own poem about the moon and um one of my teachers really liked it my mom thought it was really great and so I I don't probably that affirmation helped me keep writing uh so I would inner writing contests and a little Halloween contest in the fifth grade that I remember and some fun things like that. But I, I just wrote, wrote lots of poetry just because, just because I wanted to do it. And I kept reading. I, I would read, you know, we'd check out 18 books at a time from the library because you could. And my brother would check out 18 and I would check out 18 and we would read our stack and go back the next week. So it was just something that was always a part of my life, reading and writing. And and you never had trouble keeping track of those eighteen books that ever got lost. Well, that was probably more my mom. (laughs) I don't I don't remember any fines paid, but I would have to check with her. So, 
and I bet listeners now have, um, you take the good, you take the bad. Uh, <laughs> you take them both in there. Yeah. The, the facts, facts of, of life. life. Yep. <laughs> where, where else can you get uh, television theme songs sung there, to you? There yeah. you go. Well, where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Gainesville, Georgia, which is a little town about an hour northeast of Atlanta. And mm-hmm. it's a bit bigger now. It's also, bec- it's kind of becoming a sub a suburb of Atlanta almost. But um, at the time, I think when we moved there, well, I wasn't we, I wasn't around yet. But when my parents moved there, 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 um, there wasn't even a mall. It was just a little downtown shopping area, a little southern town. So, And my father taught at a community college there. And so that's what took us to, mm. to Gainesville. I've had a number of guests whose parents were teachers mm-hmm. or had t- teaching teaching background. I think that makes it makes a difference. It's education and 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 sort of the language of education is just part it's part of your daily background when that's the case. And so my mother also um, later became a teacher. She taught high school for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, she went back to school when I was in middle school, I guess. And so also I watched my mother going to college, you know, my father taught at a college and my mother went to college. And so I was always seeing people studying and reading books and mm-hmm. grading papers, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I kept referring to you before as a poet. I think you have a poet vibe, even if you don't yeah. do as much with poetry. <laughs> well, now. I've recently written a couple of poems, but um, that's actually kind of an interesting in terms of, you know, thinking about writing and transformation. I, imagined myself and was I mean I wrote poetry I wrote poetry through high school and into college and then I took um, (laughs) my first poetry class in college and I I just kind of wasn't ready I think for the um, feedback and I also think that sometimes you connect with certain um, professors and and I just the particular professor I just didn't I didn't know how to talk about my writing with him effectively, I think. And so I kind of stepped away from poetry. I thought maybe I'm not really a very good poet. I'm a writer. I know that. But maybe I'm not really a very good poet. And so I, um, we had uh, visiting writers come and teach classes there. And so the first visiting writer we had was actually a playwright, but she wanted us, she, she didn't mind if we wrote fiction. She just wanted us to write prose. She didn't feel confident working with poetry. So I kind of had to start with some prose. And then Clyde Edgerton came, who is a a favorite Southern writer of mine, um, and taught a class. And so I ended up sort of going down this fiction route. And then one of my fiction uh, professors said, you know, all your short stories have this very contained setting and they have a lot of dialogue. So I think you're really a playwright. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went to grad school and I wrote a one woman play as part of my dissertation, not because he had said that, but just because that's kind of what seemed to work. Um, and I actually did perform that play a few times, but at my defense, one of my grad school professors said, I think you ought to try to publish this one woman show as an essay. And so, <laughs> so I went through um, all of those. And actually, now I identify myself as an essayist and a creative nonfiction writer. So mm-hmm. I've kind of come around full circle, although I think that the lessons of poetry um, have been and continue to be really, really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's something I really like to read a lot and get, take a lot of inspiration from. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's exciting to be able to work in so many genres and forms. 
Yeah, I, I feel like, I think one of the reasons I like the essay is that it's quite malleable. And there's a, um, there's a wonderful book out um, and, and I guess an approach, and I can't, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the book, but uh, there's something called the Hermit Crab essay. And a Hermit Crab essay, the sort of the metaphor for that is that you take a, a form, some other form that already exists, and then you use that form to write an essay. So maybe a recipe or um, something like that. And I, I taught that to some uh, to a class last fall. And I just that way it's just it can be very playful you can do a lot mm -hmm. of really fun things with with that bringing different forms in and um, figuring out what kind of form helps you say the thing you want to say the best so I think that's one reason I like essays is it feels very malleable and there's a lot of play in mm -hmm. there and there and there should be right yes essay. yes yeah because yeah, I mean when, when I say the word essay I can just hear you know people going oh essays I wrote those in school but creative nonfiction is you know memoir and nature writing and um, I'm trying to Cheryl Strade's uh, book wild that was mm -hmm. so well received that's an example of creative nonfiction uh, it's so it's it's really fun to be able to take sort of events from life, real events or describing a place and use all those tools of fiction to be able to bring those alive. So bringing in dialogue and setting and description and um, all of those characters um, really, to me, it's, I used to worry when I was a fiction writer that I wouldn't be able to come up with a story. And when I eventually shifted to nonfiction, I realized everything's a story. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's material everywhere so it's just a matter of sort of seeing it looking at it yeah can you talk about a piece that you're working on now or a piece that is kind of representative of your work oh gosh um well maybe the best way to approach that is um to trace back through a past couple of years is that is that yeah acceptable? <laughs> okay. no, that's great so um my my parents um always supported my desire to be a writer and uh, but they've they've always kind of done that um parental thing where they say you know when are you going to write your book when are you going to write your book <laughs> and so um for a long time I didn't really have a book I wanted to write I had a lot of things I wanted to write poems or essays or a play um but but I didn't really have a book and then probably it was around 2010 2011 um I was um in my late, I'm trying to think how old I actually was, which I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure exactly I'm going to get this right, but so late 30s, early 40s time period. And I um, had been dating and I had also been um, trying all of these new things. And I'm not sure how these two things sort of came together for me, but I was... Um, Work started working on something I thought, well, I, I think now I finally have a, a book. And in my head, it was called Misadventure, M-I-S-S, -S, Adventure. Um, but also, I was sort of exploring my relationship to myself, my relationship to the world. And, and then it seemed like that was also bound up with relationships with other people. So I, try, I tried mountain biking. Um, I tried, um, I did some modeling for a while. I was doing all of these things that I'd never done before. And each of them 
was wrapped up with with a person um, in a lot of cases, and I had some very funny stories. I think anybody who you know dates into their 30s and 40s will tell you great stories, and I certainly had some great stories. So that was the first thing I started working on, and um, then I um, I made some progress with that manuscript, but I I hadn't quite gotten it finished when I was introduced to someone who eventually became my husband, and at that point I started blogging, doing long form blogging. And so I did a long form blog uh, called 40 something first time bride for gosh, almost two years, I guess, sort of writing about my, my relationship and what it's like to date and fall in love in your forties, but also, um, playing around with the wedding industry and how it really isn't marketed to brides in midlife. Um, and just, I had a really good time kind of embracing that. Um, persona, I guess. Um, and then um, about, I guess it was about nine months after we got um, married, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I shifted the focus of um, my blog, I started a new blog, kind of chronicling um, that journey, um, and did that for uh, probably again about a year and a half. And, and um, so I have these collections of essays mm-hmm. that um, kind of take on the, the <laughs> there's the, the dating piece and then shifting into to marriage at midlife and then shifting into, you know, what happens um, when that takes a, a left turn, I guess you could say. So it's, I think back to um, those early essays, and at, at this point, what I'm trying to figure out is: is this all one project, or are these, you know, several different projects? And because they all, uh, when I when I read the the themes, there's certain themes that keep resurfacing, that come up again and again. Um, and so, that's that's kind of where I am is working with that material and figuring out. Um, if it's one book or if it's a couple of books or if it's a series of essays. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the, I guess that's sort of the overarching thing I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And then I also have another one woman show that I'm, Oh, <laughs> that I've got in mind. So have you performed, do you perform the one woman? I, show? Well, I did. Mm-hmm. I, my first, uh, the first one I wrote was called, uh, what a doll. And it was about Barbie. Um, kind of my love hate relationship with, with Barbie. Um, and I did, I performed that one, um, several different places, several different venues, uh, and got pretty good reception, really had a good time doing that. So, and, and let me step back to sure. where did you, where did you do your, that was in graduate school that you wrote that? Yes. Uh, I was at, uh, the Ohio State University mm-hmm. in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did it, has it had a Virginia debut? It has not. Uh, I think it, it needs one. <laughs> I think about it sometimes and yeah, yeah, it was, um, it would be interesting to bring that, bring that show back onto stage again, especially now that I'm 15, 20 years older than I was when I last performed it. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I think, you know, a lot of it is, um, it's a series of, of individual scenes. Um, and the idea is they kind of, they kind of go back and forth presenting, um, my childhood love and and sort of some of the positive things that came from my playing with Barbies and then um, 
some of the you know body image issues and the various ways uh there's a story of a there's a couple of women actually i think who have undergone all kinds of plastic surgeries and tried to become barbie and anyway so it, it weaves all those stories together and then kind of leaves it up to the viewer to make their own decision about what they think about this compendium of of tales mm-hmm. about barbie so yeah, yeah. And um, well, let me pause for a second and just um, remind folks that they are in Book City, Roanoke, and we're with Sandy McGlone today. And there's a sponsor for Book City, Roanoke, and that's Book No Further down at Roanoke's Historic City Market. And uh, that's a great place to explore some topics and themes and just walk in there. It's a collection of both new and used books, and you never know what you're going to find. Um, and there might be a book on Barbie down there who knows that there is. who knows um and let me talk to i'd like to ask you about the the blog mm. and when you shifted the blog and kind of processing your emotions and your experiences and i know we're going to have another have a guest talking about journaling which is very mm. different than writing for a specific audience yes so can you talk about that a little bit Ah, uh, yeah that's a great great question to think about sort of journaling versus blogging um the the thing for me about blogging that I found very compelling was the fact that I felt like I had an audience uh and I had an audience I could interact with in fact um and that sort of it kept me accountable it kept me writing because I I had this sense that there were people out there who were really interested and listening, I guess, reading, um, and interacting. So it's, I often actually, I journal a lot and I draft things into my journal and then would move them onto the blog. Um, but I do have this certain sense when, um, I guess the thing that's coming to mind, I'm sort of like tripping over my words here, but I, I had the, the, um, the blog about um, being a bride that was, uh, you know, I, I, both times I've done a blog, I've spent several months sort of thinking through the structure of it, what kinds of posts I was going to do, was I going to have a, you know, a variety of things, prepping some material ahead of time. So I, I just very serious endeavor to me, I wanted that to, to be something that, that I could be proud of. Um, and then I, uh, I was diagnosed the first time I've had um, some, a, a recurrence of cancer. And when I, when I was diagnosed again, I thought, well, I'll, well, I'll, I'll blog some more, but I ended up, I haven't done a lot of blogging on that one for whatever reason. Um, but there's this site called caring bridge that mm-hmm. a lot of people use. And what I've, <laughs> what I found was I was fairly comfortable on caring bridge, getting on and just kind of saying, Hey, this is what's going on. And I didn't feel like I had to be sort of writerly about it. But when I put things on the blog, I just have this ideal I have for myself that I feel like I have to, to reach. And so it's, it's much more crafted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that to me is kind of the, the difference there. I really, um, to me it feels you know it's it feels like a publication it really is putting stuff out there that that I want to ensure a certain level of quality about um but one thing that has been interesting starting really with that misadventure manuscript I took some of that material into um the English department and and because you know we talk we do some things where we talk about the things we're working on and and I had read parts of that to one of you know some of my colleagues and and one of my one of my colleagues who also writes nonfiction. um 
said something about like the voice that that he he didn't feel like the voice I guess in the you know it was nonfiction, but that wasn't the voice he was used to hearing from me like when we would talk in the hallway or we would um and I th- I was so intrigued by that because I thought well you know I'm I'm kind of an introvert and I'm not much of a banterer I'm pretty earnest when I'm in my daily life but my writing voice is very much still me it's still very much part of myself but it's a lot more playful it has a little bit more of a of a sharp edge um, and uh, and so anyway I, I brought a, a few little examples of things but also. It got more playful when I did the bride blog. I kind of got more playful and maybe even a little bit. I don't like to be snarky, but a little, a little, you know, like what's going on with this, you know, all this crazy bride stuff. And then it shifted again a little bit when, when I moved to the cancer blog. Um, I still kind of look at things with humor as much as I can, but, um, but there's, I think there's, a, you know, it's just a little bit darker of an undertone and maybe, maybe a little bit more raw in that, in the more recent work. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, it, it's been really interesting. It was just so interesting for him to sort of say, you know, the, the person I talk to every day in the hall doesn't match this voice on the page. And, and so is it not authentic? And I'm like, but, you know, Walt Whitman, we, we, we contain multitudes, right? We all, mm-hmm. And yeah. so, and I think that's, um, and crafting those personas is actually a way of processing the changes, you know, changing, processing the new identities and the new things that were mm-hmm. happening in my life. And that, you know, was my voice shifted with that. Um, and it was just really interesting that, that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the assumption that the authentic you is the one in the hallway oh, right. having small talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or in front of class, right? I mean, that's a very, and, and that's what was so interesting to me. I was like, wow, you know, I, I am very aware that my writerly persona is sort of often different from my personal persona, I guess, but but I think I have lots of different writerly personas too. Like nobody, I mean, and when, for fiction writers or for poets, we expect that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's like we don't want them to always write in the same voice because they're writing different characters. But the same is really true when you're writing nonfiction. You're taking a, a particular moment in time or a particular event and you have a lens on that and you, and you want a coherent voice kind of, you know, delivering that information and commenting and... So that's, it's, it's crafted, it's crafted the same way, but it's, that doesn't make it less authentic. It just, it just, you know, it's crafted. I don't know. Right, right. But that was a, that was a a Mm -hmm. professional, professional colleague. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I was just like, wow, that surprised me. It really surprised me. It was interesting. Yeah. Well, well, you um, just mentioned that you had something that you might yeah. Would, you, would you mind reading, reading sure, something? Sure, sure. Give us some um, what I Yeah, I kind of thought maybe maybe what I could do here is like look at s- something briefly from the, the bridal blog and then, then one of the, the pieces later. And um, so let's see. So <laughs> um, this maybe is kind of an example of the... Uh, so this is a, 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 was a blog... Um, entry from um the bride 40 something first time bride uh and it was (laughs) it's talking about 
Elf on the Shelf and other traditions or why I hate Unity Sand. So, I mean, it's kind of got attitude from the very beginning. And I'm going to skip past the stuff about the, the Elf on the Shelf and just talk about the Unity Sand thing. Um, but, um, so, all right, so I'll just jump into the, I can't stand Unity Sand. Please don't be offended if you have a bottle of Unity Sand sitting on your mantle right now. It was your wedding and your ritual, and if you love your unity sand and it makes you smile every day to see its wavy layers, I wish you nothing but more joy in a jar. Seriously. But just as there will be no elf on my shelf this season, there will be no unity sand at my wedding. Don't get me wrong. I love sand. In fact, there's not much I enjoy more than sinking my bare toes in warm sand or letting its wispy grain slip through my fingers. But that's at the beach where sand belongs. And that sand is sand-colored, white or tan or on a few select shores in Hawaii, I hope to visit someday, black. Not dyed yellow or blue or pink and packaged in a sand ceremony kit sold on the internet. For those who are wondering what on earth is unity sand, a brief primer. The unity sand ceremony is the newfangled version of the unity candle ceremony. The bride and groom each hold an individual vessel of sand, and to symbolize the joining of their lives in matrimony, each pours his or her sand into a larger central vessel. In some cases, other family members or even the wedding party participate. As HowStuffWorks.com describes it, the meaning is clear. The blending of two different beings into a single and separable unit that is their marriage, the joining of their lives... Hard as it would be to separate out those grains of sand, that's how difficult it is to separate these two people. When I read this last to fiancé Steve, he offers, how about a good lawyer? After the wedding, there's the expectation that you'll set the sand out on display in your house. Proponents focus on the memories this will recall. I think of it as something more to dust. I'm particularly befuddled by the industry's emphasis on the need for permanent memento, ensuring that you have a meaningful souvenir of the big day. Wedding ring, anyone? And then there's a small matter, as Steve's son Tucker pointed out, of that person you're going to wake up next to every morning. You know, your keepsake spouse. (laughs) So... Clearly, I have a little attitude about unity, Sam. Um, but but that was and and that's I guess sort of more the the um, the lighthearted piece and and also the the bridal voice was was really more. There was you know a lot more about romance and and um, love and relationships. And I think um, the the start of this blog entry after this was one of the earliest first or second piece after I um, was diagnosed and switched over to the other blog. And so you can kind of hear the shift, I think, in the in the persona and the, the voice. It's, this was uh, called Brave New World. Getting a cancer diagnosis is a disorienting experience. It's as if you're sitting curled up on the sofa, reading the newest Jennifer Weiner, empathizing with the protagonist as she navigates the everyday joys and foibles of new love and family life. And you turn the page to find yourself suddenly thrust into the middle of a dystopian sci-fi novel. The characters are mostly the same, outside a few additions wearing white coats or colorful scrubs. But the rest of the world has changed. Surrealistic and strange elements, barium smoothies, giant machines, unpronounceable chemicals appear frequently. The tone previously light with the occasional poignant moment, now shifts between darkly serious and comically absurd, every page weighted with philosophical subtext probing 
What is the meaning of life? You want more than anything to flip the pages back to return to the other story, but you can't. So, um, and then I, <laughs> I didn't stay in that darker place, but I, that was really kind of how I felt. I felt like I had kind of been living this, um, you know, I, I, I finally met the, the love of my life and I'm getting married and I'm going, you know, planning this, this wonderful wedding and, um, having a lot of fun with that, um, persona, not only on the page, but also in life. And then it kind of got yanked out from under me. And suddenly I had this, this, you know, identity as, as a cancer patient. And it was, it was pretty disorienting. And the thing that really, I think, saved me was that I was writing. Um, I told um, another one of my colleagues early on that um, I would be writing you know, about, I would be blogging, I'd be writing, I knew I would have to write about it, because the only, that was the only way I could control the narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, on, on the page, I can, I can control the narrative, and I can take the time to reflect and find the funny stuff, even, because um, you don't, you don't control the narrative otherwise. And so, mm -hmm. so it, it really has been, um, and there's some research, actually, that uh, shows that, that that's something that people who, journal and write about difficult experiences, um, one of the reasons they benefit from that is because they're, in putting things into a narrative, they are um, finding meaning and creating mm -hmm. a kind of sense of control that you otherwise really don't have, and that that can be very healing, actually. So it, it really has been a huge piece for me mm -hmm. to do some writing. And, you, and you've helped pass that along as well and you spent some time as, yes. as a writer in residence with the healing arts yes. program yes Krillian. can you yes. talk a little bit about that experience yeah um that that uh, has been a really wonderful um experience i um worked both with writing and with visual arts with patients and um, but some of my I guess some of my favorite moments were were the the writing pieces and that it was sometimes a little more challenging to kind of invite people to do that because writing is something that's often very private and and people want to journal but they certainly don't want someone looking over their shoulder while they're journaling uh, but I had a couple of exercises that I would do and and one that um, I had a couple really great experiences with was something I called memory stories. And a lot of times people, um, they also, they have stories to tell, but they're, they're afraid to write them down at all. And so if you can get people talking and, um, and you take notes for them. And so that's, that's actually something we do in the writing center too. That's sort of a tutoring technique. And so I took, took that in, uh, and I would get, you know, to talking with a patient and um, ask them, just ask them some questions and get them talking. And sometimes something would come up, an event that was important to them or a person. And I would offer, you know, why don't you tell me some specific details, um, memories, sense memories that you have about this. And I'll write it down for you. And so, you know, if someone wanted to talk about um, their grandmother or something like that, and I would say, so you know, what, what memories do you have of your grandmother? What, you know, what, what did she do in the morning or what? And I would, so, so people would tell me, I remember, you know, I remember my grandmother's uh, chocolate chip cookies, or I remember the way that she used to put her lipstick 
on in the mirror by the front door. And I remember, and I would just write those down. And this is a, um, it's sort of, and, an, I, and, and you just start every line as I remember, I remember, I remember, and then you fill that in. And um, usually people, you know, they get to a point or I would, I would recognize that there was a really powerful image or something that would work as an ending. And I, I would say, you know, okay, I think we have our poem. And then I would read it back to them. And the response, you know, you know I wrote that, I said that, that's, that's my work. It was really, it was really powerful. And, um, you know, people say, oh, I'm going to share that with whoever they had you know, written it about or whatever. And so that, that was something that it felt like a really wonderful way to kind of try to give back. Um, I worked with cancer patients. That was also really rewarding in terms of, of, um, giving, helping them find, sort of find their voice and giving them voice, um, Mm -hmm. to process their own journeys. So, yeah. And you, and you can just imagine, um, you know, that transformation of someone seeing or hearing their voice mm-hmm. uh, as, as you've helped them. Mm-hmm. And then you can imagine them sharing that poem with yeah. the person they were writing about uh, and the transformation of that relationship mm-hmm. potentially, because mm-hmm. we don't often say the things that we most want to say or right. don't know that we know how to say. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Yeah, it was it's it was really wonderful to. To see people, and, and oftentimes people say, oh, I can't write, but some of that's just the block of, you know, sort of being afraid to, and if you can move past that, everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has, you know, memories and characters mm-hmm. in their lives that they want to capture and recall, so it's it's wonderful to help somebody do that. Uh, helping to draw those out, that's mm-hmm. important work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And thank you for doing it. Oh, no, it was my yeah. pleasure. And thank you for spending some time with me today. And I, these these half hours go by oh, so they, fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <They> fly by. <laughs> Definitely. But thank you. And that, that does bring us to the end of this episode of Book City Roanoke, the podcast, uh, which you can find anywhere that you stream your podcast. It's now on Stitcher as well as Apple and Google, Google and all those spots. And uh, thank you to Book No Further down on Roanoke's historic city market. And uh, I'm Douglas Jackson, and we'll, uh, we won't see you next time, but we'll, maybe we'll, I don't know, how do I say that? <laughs> yeah, how do you say that when you sign yeah, up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I need a, I need a, a quick, catchy thing like, um, like Chuck Willery would have if he were doing a podcast. Yeah, your tagline. Yeah. Tagline. yeah. But, but anyway, keep exploring our things literary at bookcityroanoke.com.